If you're associating exercise with something that you don't like and you're creating this discipline game, which we certainly see with a lot of uh, business owners that have reinforced this through work, it's a very all or nothing mentality, right? And I think the big thing that I really like to guide a lot of our clients through is a reassociation of habits they're already good at, right? So I think this is an area that I find a lot of frustration in is people that absolutely crush it in business or they're amazing in certain aspects of their job or their role, but they feel that they are self-sabotaging what's happening with their health. And I think it's, you know, health is the ultimate mirror. Our body keeps the score. It holds those those thoughts as as physical reactions, that that tightness in our muscles, all sorts of things that allows us to uh, really, we can't cheat the game, right? There's really going to be an awareness of we need to feel in tune with ourselves. We need to give ourselves permission to feel good in the moment. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, you are in for a magical treat. The amazing Ollie Wood has made it his life's work to create and help career-driven professionals and business owners and entrepreneurs get their health on track. He's had over 20,000 hours of coaching experience working with clients one-on-one. He's invested in multiple six figures on real-world education with coaches and world-leading experts in exercise, nutrition, biochemistry, and mindset. And throughout all of that, along with his own experiences, he's developed the Body Reset System. Ollie is the founder of this beautiful business and is now one of the most sought-after experts in the online coaching space for business owners and busy professionals, particularly around that age group of over 40. And I promise you, you are going to love what he has to offer. Everything is online. Everything he shares with his incredible team is very inspiring, and it really does take a very holistic approach to health, wellness, and success. I look forward to hearing your comments and feedback. You can head on over to my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28, my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or you can go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Cannot wait to hear what you think. Take care, be kind, and have an extraordinary week. As you can tell, one of my favorite things to do is to interview incredible souls who are making a massive difference, not only in their own environment, but perhaps quite big on a scale of planet-wise. And this human is no exception. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, gorgeous Ollie Wood. Thank you, Kim. So good to be here. Look, you've been recommended to me a number of times, in particular, we have a mutual friend who said that we needed to meet, and I absolutely love what you're about. Before we get into all of the incredible things that you're doing, could you just take us on a little journey as to where you began and what got you into this whole beautiful health industry? Where did it start for you? Yeah, uh, it's certainly something that I think is part of my DNA from a really early age. It was very much an awareness of getting involved with triathlons alongside my mum, getting involved in sports inside of schools. But, you know, there was always a clash between this balance of, uh, you know, going down the corporate route, understanding the business side, as well as, you know, really keeping this involvement in my health and trying to make sure that was really the forefront the whole way through school. So, you know, the the classic try get through uh, school uh, and pass while still doing all the sports that I know and and loved. Uh, I think the big 
thing for me is as soon as I went into university, as I started to see there was a bit of a different difference between understanding business and doing business and getting the awareness of what was really required in order to create my own brand. I actually built a personal training business on the side really to get me through uni. And it ended up becoming more of my focus and more and more of my focus to the point that I, I stepped out of uni and, and continued to focus on this uh, personal training space. Now, as every personal trainer in their early 20s that's made of rubber and magic, there's really going to be a space of you know obsession around movement, really trying to get people to exercise more and more, right? And what I found after you know quite a short amount of time, three to six months, as I started to work with more and more of these clients and a business owner and, and corporate space is they were work, walking through the door with a level of stress and inflammation that really needed to be addressed long before we were going to get some really good results out of their training. Otherwise, we were simply adding more stress to the pile. And that allowed me to really connect some top and some dot between what that looked like actually doing some of these triathlons alongside my mum and seeing the difference between uh, you know, when we started and getting into some of those first uh, races and seeing how that, you know, we improved quickly, right? It's something that it was was brand new. But as she went through what I now know was menopause and starting to see some shifts in how she was recovering, how she was eating, she wasn't sleeping, right? And awareness of seeing that disruption and how she was able to exercise, it really started to connect some dots to me as, ah, these people aren't the same as me. <laughs> and specifically, women going through these shifts I'm going to have to train them a little bit differently because it's not just about getting a good sweat and making sure they leave the gym feeling tired. So diving into that space alongside a lot of the things I was doing in sort of a a startup world and getting involved in all sorts of opportunities where I could really just allowed me to look at it a little differently. And I think one of the big frustrations in the space where we dive down another, another diet rabbit hole or another boot camp rabbit hole is we look at that through the constraints of just what calories in, calories out you know, look like, as opposed to how human beings actually work. We're navigating stresses. We're navigating hormonal adjustments. Are we sleeping? Are we giving ourselves permission to feel good on a day-to-day basis? Now, that allowed us to go through, you know, quite a few changes in what was, you know, my health brand and a very natural progression of that online for us because we started to look at all the other pictures of the pie. And I was very aware very early on (laughs) that that was a 10-year degree in every area, right? The psychology of change, the nutritional aspects, the gut health, diving into their blood work, really making sure we weren't leaving any stone unturned to what we now do inside the Body Reset, which is that collection of experts to make sure we're very client-focused, we're getting an awareness of what they actually need to uncover in order to get their body moving forward and know that they feel good along the way. It's an incredible journey, really, and I love the whole aspect of (laughs) one of the biggest things for many business owners is the toss-up between the degree and actually doing the work. I was accepted into an MBA a number of years ago, and my business coach turned around and said, Kim, you're doing an MBA. By running your own business, you're actually in it. What I love about what I've just heard what you said is that you really have become incredibly client-focused, and every single one of us has a different set of circumstances and needs. I want to ask you, there's so many people think there's a, a want to exercise or a need to exercise. And when we look at the human body as an animal, if you like, it, it was born to move. Why do you think there is such an antagonistic mindset around wanting to and needing to exercise? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's looking at it through, is this something you want to do or something you need to do, really allows it to be reframed as, is it something you have to do or something you get to do and I think that in itself can uncover the real motivation behind what you're doing and hopefully reshape it if it's less than ideal 
Because the unfortunate reality is, Kim, unless you come from a place that is incredibly athletic and you love sports and your body's always felt like it worked uh, and and that you were fit and naturally you know, capable at certain things, which is already the 1%, if you're not in that category, you're going to notice that it's something that you feel like you're constantly forcing yourself to do. And you only ever get back into health when you reach a level of pain that you have to. And until you shift that to a want to, you're always feeling like you're tackling against what you'd rather do. And I think that's a, the significant shift that needs to happen internally of how do we make sure that we focus first on getting your body back on your side, feeling healthy, feeling energetic. Because if you're trying to make these changes, it usually comes from a place of the body's not feeling as good as it once was, it's not responding, or maybe you didn't even have to think about it before and now you do. There's a whole lot of reframings and rewirings that need to happen there for you to fall in love with exercise or get an awareness of what that could look like. Because I know many people really hated uh, you know, cross-country at school exercise now doesn't have to be that same feeling, right? It could be something that feels actually quite rewarding and you feel better afterwards. And you know that, you know, just like brushing your teeth, you feel cleaner and, and better for it coming into your day. And until you make that rewiring of what exercise or what movement or what health even does for you, uh, I think that's really a vital shift that we need to start with. Yeah, perfectly said. I remember hearing, whether you like him or dislike him, Andrew Tate saying to a guy who messaged him a number of times talking about how depressed he was and how much anxiety he had. And Andrew Tate turned around and said, get into a gym, get a six-pack, because the guy didn't exercise and he was overweight. Get get to the gym, get a six-pack, and then come back to me and tell me if you're still depressed. He did get back to him six months later. He wasn't depressed. He was feeling the best shape of his life. In your humble opinion then, is it the chicken before the egg? Do we change the mindset and then get into the body? Or is it if we just move the body, it can help shift the mindset? Yeah, it's a really good thought. Uh, for me, I'm not sure if it's one or the other. I think it's as long as there's one first win. And I like that if we break that down into something that allows you to refocus on a target, I think human beings uh, being able to focus on something that they're working towards is something that really helps the mind regardless, right? So whether that is that physical commitment of doing something in your morning to really set up your day, or it's the mental decision, which usually I would say prevails, the action is going to be something that, or precedes the action, allows you to make sure there's a decision made first or clarity of where you're going, right? And I think a lot of the shifts we make around the how we view our day, how we view ourselves is really tackling new problems or shifting our questions we're asking, right? Rather than saying, why am I not feeling good today? It's how could I make today better? And I think if we make those shifts internally, that allows us to refocus on a target. And we do this with our clients all the time is, you know, what's the one thing today that makes everything else easier or unnecessary? It comes from the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller. It just allows a, a clarity of focus, a refinement of targets. And I think human beings in general start to see their bodies work with them when they start to have a bit more of an avenue or channeling that focus a bit more. Clarity of focus is a massive thing, actually. And I love what you said there because we know that clarity gives us power. Do you think then when people come into you, and often for those of us or those that listening that don't have exercise as their motivator or they weren't part of that 1% where they loved sport, Often you mentioned it before that pain can be a great motivator or the inability to do something that we have to get on and fix, if that's the right word, or help ourselves. I heard the acronym PAIN as pay attention, integrate now. And I quite like it because it does make us 
pay attention. When someone comes to you, though, and they're sitting in front of you and they haven't got youth on their side anymore, they can't bounce back the way they used to as what youth does for us, and they're really at a crossroads, how do you know which is the best form of exercise for each person and what's the best way or place that they can start? Yeah, so many things to unpack there, and I think it's a really, really good question to focus on. And I think the first part here is, you know, we were over in Europe earlier this year and we were cooking breakfast. I was randomly, you know, cracking the eggs, putting them in the pot. And the, the family member we were staying with is, no, no, that's the, the wrong way to crack eggs. You can do it this way and you don't you don't crack it anywhere. And I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then I've never tried it again. <laughs> and the reason that that never came to fruition was I di- didn't see a need to change. Like the way I cracked eggs was fine. I didn't see any need <laughs> to make a shift. And I think that's one of the frustrations I had early on is I was trying to help people from a good place, but people weren't in a place of, pain in order to listen. And I think that is certainly a a necessity for that first uh, interest in an activity or an interest in needing to change is typically people do have to get to a level of discomfort in order for it to actually be uh, worth changing their current behaviors. Because if there is a level of uh, reinforcement behind the behaviors we do, right, we've heard all of these uh, facts and figures around 90% of our day or 70% of our day is sort of done in an unconscious fashion or ingrained. If we're going to disrupt that, that's going to be a very uncomfortable process and we need to be in a level of discomfort or desire in order to make that shift. Now, the problem I see moving forward is that we start with this association exercise, which really just reinforces more pain. Our body feels terrible. We're running on fumes and now we're deciding to add more. (laughs) So the shift, I think, here that certainly we approach things a little differently is we say, look, I want you to not worry about exercise for a couple of weeks in the traditional format of lifting dumbbells or going for a run or whatever it might be. I just want you to go for a 10-minute walk for you in the morning, right? And it allows all sorts of positive benefits. That might be the case of actually just putting time aside for you, which is likely the biggest part of this, the ability to breathe, the ability to get some sun on your face. Um, when we get to that space, I think we uncover so much more about the the actions and the relationship with that exercise long-term because it doesn't come from a place of, force and having to push our body it comes from a place of like oh that actually felt quite good it was a 10 minute walk and i can do it again tomorrow so it's those small tiny habits that allow us to build things up long term and actually allows a level of structure or refinement in that day to look at i'm going to drink a little bit more more water today or i might look at getting to bed a little bit earlier right it's it's this ability to create that better relationship with your body and how you move forward Mm, so important. And I think so many of us have a disassociated relationship with the body. It's not until we're in pain that we actually pay attention to it. And I'm so mindful of these 50 trillion cells that deserve our attention. I've always looked at every one of us as an athlete, the ability to move. And one of the things you said earlier was the difference between have to do as opposed to get to do. There's many moments I've been out and I haven't really felt like going for a run or I haven't really felt like going for a walk. And I just get out there and I say a little mantra that I always remind myself I'm doing something that many people don't get the opportunity to do. Therefore, I'm doing it on behalf of them. There's people in hospitals. There's people with illnesses. It's not until it's taken away from us that we actually realize the beauty, the gift, and the absolute magnificence of it. There was a pill, I thought, if I could if I could create, Ollie, I called it walk the dog attitude. Every time I see a dog and someone says walkies, the dog is just beside itself to go for a walk. How do you instill 
that pill, I'd be a multi-squillionaire if I could invest in that. But how do we create a walk the dog attitude where we just cannot wait to get up and into it? If there is a pain point for those first few weeks of change or transition or moving into it, where's the tipping point? Where do we move into, oh my gosh, I'm absolutely loving this whole thing now. Yeah, I've got one of those beautiful little dogs under my table. <laughs> um, you know, that that space of being able to uh, enjoy exercise, I think, is something that's reinforced over time. And you can reinforce the things you want to do or you can reinforce things you don't want to do uh, simply through repeated actions, right? Uh, those neurons that fire together wire together. It's really a space of reinforcing that felt good. I'll do more of that. And if you're associating exercise with something that you don't like and you're creating this discipline game, which we certainly see with a lot of uh, business owners that have reinforced this through work, it's a very all or nothing mentality, right? And I think the big thing that I really like to guide a lot of our clients through is a reassociation of habits they're already good at, right? So I think this is an area that I find a lot of frustration in is people that absolutely crush it in business or they're amazing in certain aspects of their job or their role, but they feel that they are self-sabotaging what's happening with their health. And I think it's, you know, health is the ultimate mirror. Our body keeps the score. It holds those those thoughts as as physical reactions, that, that tightness in our muscles, all sorts of things that allows us to uh, really, we can't cheat the game, right? There's really going to be an awareness of we need to feel in tune with ourselves. We need to give ourselves permission to feel good in the moment. And a lot of this is the exact same thing as work, which is, you know, some maybe it's attention to details or getting things done uh, at certain times in the day or that level of productivity or focus or sharpness that you already aspire to or already do inside of a work scenario. I think it's something that we can reassociate towards health. So what I mean to, by that is what are the mental frameworks that we can apply to health that actually allow you to reassociate this as something that's effective, is something that's aligned with your values or how you already currently conduct your day, and then starting to rebuild those positive associations of something like, ah, that actually makes me show up better. Ah, I feel mentally sharper when I do this thing. My joints don't hurt as much. I sleep better, whatever it might be. And you start to create these associations that even if that doesn't feel like the most comfortable activity right now, you know that in two hours or tomorrow, you feel better because of it. And that in itself uh, really becomes something that pulls you into the conscious choice that you're making rather than pulled out of uh, that into the emotions of the moment, right? The comforts of what our life is designed around. And I think that really allows for uh, a level of just intentional living. Mm, that's a powerful one in itself. There's something about the body, even when you do work out regularly and you're someone who loves sport or the gym or swimming or cycling or triathlons, whatever it is, ultimately as machines, as these incredible Ferraris that we are, it seems that the more fit we get, we never quite get there because you can always push yourself. What are some of the high level athletes that you've worked with and what makes them so high level or so motivated to consistently push beyond what some people would call the physical realm or the physical ability to actually get to that point? What is those top, top athletes like that makes them different to other athletes? Yeah, so one of the things I want to bring uh, us back to from what you mentioned before is uh, it, we can see everyone like athletes and we don't uh, specialize in working with athletes at, at all but one of the things I really really highlight here is you know athletes uh, have have it easier they have one clear goal they have a set defined rule uh, in order to win and in order to lose and how to succeed 
Now, if you're a business owner, I'll use this analogy as people that inspire me the most is they have no end game. They have no rules and they have no playbook in order to get there, right? There's all of this to be defined along the way. So the reason I give you that sort of preamble there is the clients we work with, uh, business owners, busy professionals in the space where they're trying to to provide for their family, they've usually got this pursuit or this target alongside that in a career-focused pursuit. So that awareness of being able to align the two, being able to balance the two in order to create success in wealth without leaving health and relationships behind, I think personally becomes a much more... uh, infinite game and it also becomes one that requires you to tune in constantly because there's a lot of people in a space that and I use this analogy a lot with my private clients is the person that can that can afford the beach house is usually the one that can't enjoy it and that one for me really hit home working with a certain level of clients that we we work with where uh, they're pushing for something next right whatever next is there's always another next behind it and the ability to one enjoy the process is is one of fitting you back into your day, fitting the people that you care about along that journey. And that's why for me, I I love what I do because while I'm in the pursuit of building this business, working alongside you know all of our coaches and members and, and working through the challenges we are, I'm constantly reminded of the same thing I'm trying to help other people with, which is the ability to pause, the ability to block me in my own day. And no matter how much we create externally, being able to make sure that I actually feel good internally along the way is is always going to be a bigger pursuit there. So kind of a side tangent from the question itself, but we don't specialize with athletes. We specialize with business owners and busy professionals. So that reassociation of whether they used to have, and and we can re-harness that, you know, sporting uh, athleticism in high school, or whether it's really just uh, reassociating with the work and the amazing things they're already doing allows us to really build towards new spaces. And I think the, the courage that comes along with that and the ability to create integrity between their values that when it's being pulled in all these different directions, uh, that inspires me and certainly helps me as well. Love what you said about pause, finding space to pause. And also I love that line, block me into my day or make some space for me. That really is an act of self-care, self-love. It really is something that you're saying I'm worth it. What is your definition of self-love? Yeah. Uh, Self-love for me, I think is one that's changed a lot over the years because it really is. I came from a space where um, coming out of high school, coming out of uni, there was a level of needing to prove myself. There was a level of, you know, I think there's always an insecurity driving certain need to be competitive and need to be one number one in any area. Uh, So that's something that I think initially came from a place of how can I push myself and the words you use to yourself are probably not something that you shout out loud, right? And it's something that, you know, an exercise that we do with our clients quite regularly now that uh, probably be helpful if you're listening to this now is if you fell off your nutrition plan or your diet or your exercise plan right now, how would you talk to yourself? Actually be truthful to what that might be, right? And the words you use and how you describe it, would it be reinforcing or not? Versus if your friend wasn't that in the exact same scenario, how would you respond to them, right? And usually there's a bit of an aha moment there where, ah, I'm not quite being my best friend right now. So that ability to shift the internal chatter is really came from a quote from one of our mindset coaches that worked with us for a long time was, the most resilient people are the ones that are self-compassionate. And for me, that was something that really has become 
a huge journey and shift of how I talk to myself, how I try to show up is the ability to make sure I'm reinforcing that for myself along the way. So to answer that in one sentence, but with that backlog now uh, framing it, it would really just be giving yourself permission to feel good. And I think that allows you to apply that level of compassion to your words and your your errors and your mistakes and your wins along the way. So you actually celebrate yourself when you win something and you you help yourself and guide yourself when you don't. And I think that it really just comes from that spot. Well, we're never all constantly up, are we? We're never also constantly down. Life is a constant shifting and changing. And depending on our external environment or occurrences or stress levels or things that you've mentioned before can all determine how we behave in this moment. It sounds to me like there's a heck of a lot of mindset work you've not only done for yourself, but also your beautiful team. Mindset really is a game changer for many people. And the words that we say to ourselves can often be a reminder or a mirror for what's going on externally. How would you recommend someone does show that resilience by being the most compassionate, apart from saying nice things to ourselves? Are there any acts of service you do for yourself when you're feeling down? Have you ever had a bad moment in your life? And if you have, have you got any guidelines as to how we can pick ourselves up out of those moments? Yeah, uh, I've had countless. And that's hence why I think using that framing of how you approach those conversations is a really big one. Um, a friend of mine mentioned to me, you know, okay, it's all well and good how you speak to yourself in the moment, but how do you speak to yourself when you're at 200 uh, beats per minute on a heart rate or pushing yourself in a in a pit training or a mountain biking scenario where you're you really got to push that body to the highest degree because I think that's a whole nother level of how you push yourself. Is it something that you wouldn't say out loud and isn't particularly compassionate or is it something that really is reinforcing towards that target? So for me personally, that ability to uh, check in with myself is something that's always less tangible, right? It's something that happens internally. And I think you get to choose to make a scenario better or worse based on the stories you attach to things. So for me it's not necessarily an activity, but it's an awareness of how I approach uh, a certain challenge is how am I, what am I saying about the thing, right? An example we use all the time is if you say that a, a bad, a sad day is a bad day, then you'll have more of them, right? We find ways to reinforce it. If, if being sad is being bad, then, you know, we start to find reasons why and we start to reinforce it and we go down this rabbit hole of making it so much worse than it used to be, or it, it could have been. So being able to realize that both, you know, sun and rain are part of weather <laughs> allows you to just give yourself permission to explore what's happening in the time, right? It's not bad weather, it's just bad clothing. <laughs> and being able to shift towards that space of when you're in certain challenges, oh, I spilled the milk on the ground. How do I speak to myself in that moment, right? And for me, that's always going to be my first anchor. Uh, if that's a level of anger that's going to come through, if that's a level of blame that comes through, that's, I think, the best opportunity to create uh, change and to create a better friend internally. Uh, and it came from my first uh, sort of mindfulness meditation uh, teacher in a way, which was uh, exposed me to the quote by Viktor Frankl, which was the space between stimulus and response is your choice, right? Or a version of that. And that ability to... Uh, create awareness of that space and then choose how you respond in any given scenario really just opens up the entire world for you, right? Gives you an awareness of how much better 
you can be, how many things you can improve in your response and how you act and all of how, how other people see you. And uh, that's certainly something that for me is, is a really strong motivator. I love this so much. You talked briefly about your mum at the beginning. Obviously, she's very active and an integral part of your journey. And she went through menopause, which is a huge thing for so many women. And I'm sure there's menopause as well, just saying. Yep. But many people think that aging is um, a natural artifact of aging is not being as great as what we are. And yet, I've met 85-year-olds that are doing triathlons. I've met 90-year-olds that have run a marathon. What is your philosophy and thoughts around those change points in our life, meno or menopause, and also the the artifact of aging? Where do you go with that? Yeah. Well, again, it comes back to your relationship with your body a little bit. The male version actually is called andropause. <laughs> um, they could have called menopause would have been much cooler. But that uh, shift in... Uh, hormonal state a shift in how you're digesting how you're recovering all of these other aspects that really change the way your body works uh, really allows us to approach this with more compassion and I think the biggest realization for me is you know if you're at your peak peak health you're going to reach that peak at around 32 33 right so if you're already in peak health anything beyond there is simply your ability you have to shift how you motivate yourself to get better because it's not something that continues to get better and continues to improve indefinitely. It's going to be something that how long can I maintain this for? So uh, a certain exercise that we use a lot here is just asking the question of like, what does this look like at 80 for you? What do you want to still be able to do? And, you know, as soon as we get rid of the unrealistic stuff, like, you know, still running uh, ultra marathons, whatever it might be, unless that might be something we still work for, it's probably going to be something a little bit more like being able to still pick up our grandchildren, being able to get ourselves out of a chair, being able to walk our uh, golden retriever down the road, right? It's a 40 kilo dog. What muscles are going to have to be strong there? And just a realization, certainly across New Zealand and Australia, our average lifespan is like 72, 73, right? So even if you do get 80, that's still doing really well. So being able to ask the question and work towards the the long game, I think one of the biggest things that I really like doing now is I realize the, the most valuable thing I can offer is perspectives. So being able to expand those perspectives towards your 70s and 80s and really start to expand the goal outside of today's uh, struggles and stresses towards what intentionally we want to have in our life still long term, that allows us to look at uh, shifting what those goals might mean and shifting our relationship with those goals. If I'm not getting a PB every week, does that mean that I'm useless? Or does that mean that I'm shifting a goal towards how long can I maintain this for? And a better way of targeting that is, of course, you know, a 30-year goal is, it sounds nice, but it's not as motivating in the moment, is setting up some version of benchmarks along the way. So for a lot of our clients, setting up the the, the half marathon or the squash game or the mountain bike with their friends or the hike, whatever it might be that allows you to do it on a monthly or quarterly basis to be like, ah, I'm actually still feeling quite fit or I'm feeling quite strong or oh, this month I didn't really look after myself so much. I'm feeling a bit groggy. So being able to set up those checkpoints along the way really allows you one, to shift that relationship we've talked about a lot today, but also to set better targets for what makes sense long-term. Well, it's really coming down to the importance of goals, really, if that's what you're saying. I know many people do, like they might be in so much pain or have such a pain point, i.e. they're overweight or they're not sleeping or whatever it is, and they'll take on an eight-week or a 12-week transformation program. What seems 
to be, uh, generally speaking, is a lot of people will do that. And then they think at the end of that, having reached a certain milestone, they go back to their old ways. But you're suggesting that this isn't like an eight-week program versus a lifetime goal. You're saying this is incorporating you as a whole and allowing those changes as we go along the way of aging. What is your thoughts then around having like small goals, like a 12-week transformation goal, as opposed to how do we then create the mindset that this is actually for life? Yeah. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people towards our world because we have uh, a lot of people that have been sick of the diet for diets for so long, right? They're like, I don't want another six-week diet. I, I don't even really care about the scales anymore, or at least it's not the entire goal. And I think there's really a shift and an exciting shift happening in our world right now, which is people are bringing awareness to there's more to it than weight loss, right? There's more to it than just the number on the scales. And being able to improve that relationship and how clothes feel and how you show up and your energy and how you talk to yourself and how you keep that long-term so you don't just go through another yo-yo, I think really has to be uh, how you shift your approach initially. So how we approach that is very much, let's get you healthy before we focus on the results and then you'll keep them long-term, right? Everybody knows if you lose 10 kilos in 10 seconds, you're going to put it back on in the next three weeks, right? So being able to not necessarily uh, lengthen that out because we've still had people lose 10, 20, 25 kilos in the space of four or five months, but it's in a space of getting people healthy first and focus on the energy aspect and how they feel around exercise. So it's something that they're, they're saying, this is achieving a result now, but I feel really good for doing it and I'm going to keep doing it long-term. So that ability to shift the goals from the upfront, you know, we have a lot of clients that sign up for a 12-month program uh, right away, right? Because it's a case of, oh, I really don't want to do another six-week plan. I'm really looking at this being a long-term journey. So let's ex extend this timeline so we get you the result and we keep it long-term. And I think that really in itself becomes a shift in your approach from the very start, right? If I asked you, um, how do you build an amazing company over the next 10 years? That's going to be very different than if I ask you, how do I make money in the first 90 days, right? There's going to be a difference in leverage. There's going to be a difference in opportunities. There's going to be a difference in how you spend your time. So asking better questions, asking um, what that looks like over a longer time horizon, I think is an effective strategy, whether that's in your relationships, whether that's in your work, if that's in your health. I think, again, it's that alignment of all three coming from a longer timeline and then creating checkpoints along the way is a, is a more effective uh, and usually more rewarding uh, way to go. Powerful. I love the fact that you guys are very much focused on the entrepreneur, the business person, the corporate uh, human. For many of us, it's either work or, and there's nothing else. And as you alluded to at the beginning, for a lot of people, their time becomes focused around success and making money rather than perhaps taking their health along the, the journey with them. In your humble opinion, workplace health, is this something that has been crippling our society? Um, I was coaching and working with a gentleman that was worth many, many millions of dollars, hadn't quite reached 50. And I remember sitting there with him. He was perhaps losing his relationship. He wasn't really speaking to his children that much. He didn't look a, ba a basket of health. And I even suggested that if he didn't do some changes, there could be, you know, he was heading down the track of a heart attack or not feeling great. Well, Ollie, I have to 
tell you this, but that night he had an ambulance called to his house. So again, I don't know whether it was me or whether it was just he maybe gave himself permission to actually feel what he was feeling. But it concerned me that even though he was worth all this money, he still pushed and pushed and pushed in the workplace environment and did not see the importance or value of family relationships and his own personal health. How do you make that association for the workplace worker who does work their butts off, who has got big goals and maybe success entrepreneurship? Maybe it is a 10-year plan for their own business. How do we integrate health and work into one space? Yeah, uh, it's such a big topic. It's a it's an amazing topic. Uh, we've got a, a incredible documentary coming out in uh, October with revealed films over in uh, the US on this entire field. And I think what we're starting to see is a level of uh, awareness to how many client how many entrepreneurs burn out, uh, how many create the success while they break everything else in their lives. And really that awareness of realigning what true success is and your version of success, right? I think, you know, why you want what you want is harder than just asking what you want, right? Most people can't even get to that first point of what do you actually want, right? We can go through all the things we don't want, but actually asking and creating clarity around what you want is that first step. But going one layer deeper and asking why you want it and where it came from, I think in itself is its whole other category, right? That allows you to redefine your version of success. And I think that's a really worthwhile endeavor and being able to question yourselves on on why you you want the things you do. I think it really creates a, a beautiful um, alignment in why you're actually doing the work you do and, and maybe removing some of the things on that list that are actually causing more pain than pleasure. Uh, for me, Again, this this is why this is such a rewarding experience for me myself, because in my mid-20s, I had a multi-seven-figure company. I was working with 30 different employees, and I had it, and uh, I was working with all these clients in this game, right? I was on that same pursuit. I was going down that same road. So working with clients in that space where I was seeing the health implications come up, I was seeing the relationships break down, I was seeing how this myopic focus on business success at all costs was truly becoming more costly than it was worth. And I share a lot of stories in that space now uh, around people that are worth millions and even billions that died really young, you know, amputated limbs and losing their health, not even knowing their family along the way because they didn't know another way to live. And how we've reassociated that now and how I focus on this as well, and hence why I can share it with my team is, you know, we build the muscle of work, which means we get really good at that one thing. But if we let the muscle of, of joy a trophy, if we let the muscle of rest a trophy, of, of of stillness, of connections, if we let those all a trophy, then we've got nothing to actually express and enjoy the other work activities that we're doing. So it's it's again just look, and that's an analogy that works well for me, right? Because in a gym, you you train a bicep and it gets stronger over time. If you if you do your work every day, it gets stronger over time. You reinforce that activity or more so the structure, all right? And we saw that through lockdowns as people lost their minds because they didn't go to work at 9 a.m., right? The ability to build the muscle of a certain structure in your day, what if we built the muscle of adding joy in that day, of going for a surf, going for a walk, whatever that might be? It's really just a, a case of, again, what what neurons fire together, wire together, the ability to reinforce those positive experiences in your, in your day that you want to do more of. And over time, that becomes more habitual, that becomes more unconscious. But it requires that first instance of, 
okay, this needs to change. And what am I intentionally looking for more in my in my life? It's really, really important. Something that you talk a lot about is um, helping people get their energy, you know, back, get that yep. zest for life back. There's there's a term in my industry, in the beauty industry, anti-aging. And I've found I've really struggled with it for many, many years, if not decades. Anti-aging. It's like it's almost like you're anti the gift of aging. Yeah. I feel like you're the same. Do you believe we can reverse our aging as opposed to anti-age? What's your philosophy around aging versus anti-aging? Yeah, that's a it's a really, really nice uh segue into uh this better relationship with what happens as we get older right and is that could that be a positive experience could that be something that we actually look forward to right and being able to i think you know this is where those we we share the same frustrations in the in the beauty industry as we do in the health industry and uh we're certainly seeing uh, an increase in this this concept of longevity and lifespan but for me uh getting an awareness of living as long as I can is not as motivating as trying to keep my body doing the things I want to do for as long as possible. And that was something that was very real for me a couple of years ago. I had a a pretty major motorbike accident and broke a, a lot of things. And I went from very much my peak physical shape to my least physical shape ever. And it completely shifted my goals and come is probably a big reason for why I talk about a lot of this differently now is getting my body back to doing the things I want to do, a capable body that can live an optimized life experience is one that can function as can, that can do these things without creep popping and and being in pain. And that's where that redefining of aging becomes a discussion around health span, right? And the ability to do the things we want to do for as long as possible and a reassociating of, you know, for every hour I spend in the gym now, I'm going to add three hours back to my life or some version of that space where, okay, the things I'm doing today are a deposit into my strength, into my capability, into my health that are going to show dividends for the next 20, 30, 40 plus years. And I think that in itself allows you to uh, reassociating what aging really looks like. And in a lot of ways, you know, a, a very real we- reason people are still running marathons at 70. Uh, they're just stubborn at getting old, right? They're stubborn at it being the difference between aging and getting old becomes an ability to look at it through. Yes, the calendar age is differently, but is different. But my biological age is still something that's functioning and firing at a high degree. And we see this both mentally and physically. If you stop working, right, as soon as you hit retirement age and you stop working, that's where we see the biggest decline in mental health and mental cognition. When we stop moving our body and doing those activities we love to do, that's when we see the biggest decline in physical health. So this is something we track inside our world a ton. Things like muscle mass, walking speed, grip strength are are really key aspects of that physical aspect. But we go one layer deeper or many layers deeper into their blood work and start to look at uh, key markers that can really show us the difference between your chronological age and your biological age, what that looks like to actually reverse uh, that biological age and look through the space of, you know, we can quite confidently tell you that, you know, there's multiple clients now that have added five, 10 plus years to their life now, more than multiple. But a lot of people that have measurably seen these differences in their blood work based on an inclusion of certain activities in their day to improve how they fuel, how they move, how they rest, so that they can reverse that process slightly. 
so powerful. I mean, it's such a, a belief that as we age, we we become less capacity to move or to eat well or to whatever. But you're not saying that. You're saying being mindful around it. And what I love about your whole body reset program, I notice you look at three areas, the physical, the digestive, and the psychological. We've talked a lot about the physical and the psychological. From a digestive diet point of view, there's paleo, there's macrobiotic, there's keto, there's low-carb, high-fat. There's all sorts of incredible diets out there, the Mediterranean it's not a case of one diet fits all. And as we age, our bodies have different needs. You have probably done a lot of look at the blue zones and looking at how longevity really does affect our everyday, the way we eat, the way we think, the way we feel. A lot of these blue zones, they do eat carbs. They do have wine at night. They do have a lot of social interaction. What's your thoughts on the whole food movement and particularly that third prong in your body reset with the digestive side of things? Yeah, um, really great question and one that especially in the last couple of years we've been exploring extensively because it's become a bigger and bigger part of our model is look, there's three different things that you can look at to improve to, to follow a diet, right? One, it's removing food groups or even macros. There's restricting calories and focus on every calorie you consume or three, there's restricting windows, right? Having two meals a day, one meal a day, 18 hour fast, whatever it might be. And all three of them completely miss the point, right? Because they're focused on restricting uh, externally rather than tuning in internally. And what I mean by that is, you know, with these blue zones and this awareness of how the healthy live long-term, excluding the genetic aspects and how we can focus more on what we can control, which is our epigenetics and our ability to turn on the ones that are helpful and turn off the ones that aren't, is an ability to look at reassociating our relationship with food, with movement, with challenging the body and i the reason i bring challenging up is two things that i think are really important if we really expand this out over a longer time horizon is glucose utilization and oxygen utilization right two things that we need to be effective and efficient at doing long term the whole reason that you know fasting has got a lot of focus over the last couple of years uh one, it's incredibly simple to do. You just don't eat or you do eat. But two is that level of autophagy. And the one thing that we need to take away from that is not that it's magic. Everyone has a level of autophagy. It just depends on whether you do it for six hours or whether you do it for 16. But it's a process of allowing the body to get stronger or more efficient at what it's doing. All right. If you've got a conveyor belt of food coming in every couple of hours, that's very different than giving your body time to better utilize what it currently has and and refine how things function before you give it more food. It's the same way that we should be looking at exercise uh, and these other aspects of health to improve and refine how our body actually works. It allows us to go much deeper under the hood, look what's going on, refine and strengthen the things that might not be working the way they should, the organs, the, the functions in the body to really make sure that you get your body back to feeling your best. And it really addresses, I think, the root cause of a lot of these health concerns, it isn't the diet itself that you fall on, fall off, find a new one, and you think it's a new, you know, fancy new diet that's going to fix it. It's this awareness of building the skill set of health. And that's why that our model is focused on those three aspects, physical, psychological, and digestive, is it allows us to address those as something that we tune into and that's multifaceted. It brings these three areas together a bit more. But uh, I really do appreciate your looking at this at a very holistic approach. Talk to us now about Body Reset. Talk to us about your beautiful business, the incredible people and coaches that you have as a part of that. Really tell us and how people can get and be a part of this. 
Yeah, thanks so much. Um, for us, we keep it very simple. We are, you know, we very much keep science at the at the base of what we're doing. But I think a really cool term that I only heard a month or so ago, which uh, really I think redefines how we approach this program, which is we're not um, uh, science. Uh, what, what's the word? Science uh, focused. We're science informed, and what that allows us to do is look at those refinements and tweaks to. Uh, involve the latest research around what's required, but we've also got thousands and thousands of clients that are in this exact spot, busy busy, uh, professionals and business owners in their mid-40s and 50s that have gone through the exact process that you have. And in that becomes the awareness of the behaviors and those uh, the mental blocks and physical blocks along the way that allow us to know exactly what's going to happen before it happens <laughs> so that we can optimize towards supporting you through that process. So the way we do it is through what we call the R4 method. And it's a simple uh, four-step process that allows us to address it from that root cause and get your health on your side first. So you know, like we talked about a ton today, we need to really address how we approach change in the first instance, which is what are those simple tweaks and habits that we can make to improve your energy, improve your sleep, really just get your body feeling better. And for us, I think that becomes a huge conversation around, you know, what used to work when you were 20 is very different than what works for you at 45, 55, right? So it's not just finding what's relevant, right? Which is sifting through the 99% to find 1% that's actually accurate, which is hard enough in itself. But then from there, we need to find out what's relevant for your age and stage of life. So that's very much where we start, get you comfortable with what works for your body. And that becomes more of a molding around your lifestyle rather than here's a you know exact program. Two, now we dive into that blood work. We go much deeper. That's part of our repair portion that allows us to make sure we're looking at your gut health. We're looking at hormones. We're looking at liver toxicity, all of these other amazing organs that need to be functioning and firing in order for you to feel good. Once we get that sorted, we move into our uh, restore which is very much this conversation around quality versus quantity. The people that are in the best shape are not always the ones that are training for two, three hours a day. They're the ones that know the potent steps they need to do on a daily or weekly basis that make them feel great and make sure their body works well. So we need to look at those. And that the reason we look at that third is we can get some amazing results through simply some uh, 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 tweaks in your nutrition and getting a little bit moving in your day. But once we've done that, you usually hit a plateau and it's usually around that four to four to six week mark where you fall off the diet or you feel like it's not reinforced like it used to. So being able to focus on that skill set of health, of, like we've talked about today, allows us to address that very differently. So you feel really confident making sure that works long term and then reinforce. That's the entire goal. Uh, you know, R4 of our four step method is the ability to really look at that through three key, key levers. One, is it getting you the results you want? Two, is it practical and sustainable long-term? And three, which is, I think, the biggest part of today's conversation and how we've built the program, is do you enjoy it, right? Is this something you can do long-term? It's my biggest failure if you lose 10 kilos and put it back on. I want to make sure that it's a process where you feel so much more in tune with your body that you know fat loss or muscle gain or fitness is just a byproduct of you doing and installing these habits in your day. So Hopefully that gives you a bit of an overview. That's our our overall framework on how we approach it. And then, of course, our, our amazing experts and coaches are a part of that process to support you through that as well. Yeah, and they're very incredibly talented and well-informed and educated coaches from what I can see. 
and all of the beautiful testimonials that I've heard. I just want to acknowledge you for what you've done and the process and the journey in which you've been on. And I just really want to congratulate you also for really looking at this in a very holistic with science-based measures, but very holistic part of of our world, something that is really perhaps perhaps has come a little disconnected in this day and age. One of the biggest things, I've been reading a book lately called Lost Connections, and one of those is our connection to self, to others, to Mother Nature, and to a greater force or greater spirit. And I just want to say your approach to this allows us to, to look at lost connections, but also how to reconnect into that. So maybe that's the fifth step, re- reconnection and getting us back involved into well, it this beautiful with R, thing. So we can, we can I, add that too. I, I'm just saying, <laughs> I just thought reconnect, when we can yeah. connect back into who we are, our purpose, our mission, our vision, our values, our beliefs, and have energy and fire and vitality and create and be role models. There's another R, role models for future generations. This is really what the world's craving. I just want the listener to know that there is a five-day challenge for men and women on your beautiful website. Uh, Talk to us about uh, where we can get in touch with you. How do we follow you? What are all the places that we can get to? And then maybe you could finish with a favorite quote of yours and a final message to the self-love podcast listener. Yeah, you've done this before, Kim. That was amazing. Thank you. Um, for us, uh, yeah, the five-day challenge, I think, would be a really great place to start if you've resonated with what we've gone through today and you want to focus on installing simple and easy uh, habits into your day. That five-day challenge just guides you through some of the steps we use with all of our clients uh, over the last decade, what we've learned to focus on first. Uh, you can fast track that entire journey by going through that five-day challenge. It's completely free and allows you, to, me and some of our top coaches, guiding you through that process on what you can start with. So just go to bodyreset.online as our main website, or if you prefer, go to our Instagram at ollywoodnz. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, and lastly, even our podcast, uh, just Body Reset. If you search that on any of the major platforms, you will find Body Reset. Uh, and I think really just guiding you through some of these changes we've gone through today, we focus on really refining that down to simple, easy to digest steps that you can go through there as well. And so finish with a favorite. I know you've said a few quotes in this and I really will put all of your links into the notes, but you've said a number of quotes. Is there a favorite one that you would love to share with us to con- to finish the show and why it's one of your favorites? Yeah, uh, I think I kind of mentioned it before, uh, but I think my favorite one, if it's front of mind right now is, the quality of your questions determines the quality of your lives. And if you don't know that one's by Tony Robbins, and I think it really allows us to take control of the questions we're asking internally, shifts our perspective, shifts how we see the world, shifts what we focus on. And for me, that's just been uh, one of those really strong North Stars when things aren't going well or I'm hitting a particular challenge. What questions am I not asking? What am I not looking to what am I look, not looking at the right way? And I, that, that quote's something that's always been really front of mind for me. Oh, I just love it. Ollie, you are a superhuman. I absolutely have loved every minute of this conversation. Absolutely adore your approach. And again, congratulations on all the things that you've been through to create these opportunities for professionals, corporates, entrepreneurs, so that we avoid burnout, we avoid falling off the wagon, losing relationships or a health and wellness along the way. Honestly, if this could be integrated into every workplace, we would have a very healthy nation. Um, And it's something that I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you and your team are doing. It's been a privilege to have you on the show. 
No, thank you so much, Kim. The, the questions you've asked, the angles we went down, I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, you've been involved in this world and seeing, you know, the impacts we're making as well. Uh, you know, we've been in it for a decade, but we're, we only feel like we're just getting started. So the questions you're asking and the thought-provoking tangents we went down uh, only, only reinforces what we're doing. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.